Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by Nova Scotia Business Incorporated. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. This week's very special guest is Wolf Castle, a 24-year-old Indigenous Mi'kmaq rapper, producer and singer from Pabano First Nation. Growing up on the reservation with an incredibly supportive family of artists, movie directors and musicians, a career in the arts seemed like the natural choice for this talented young gentleman, whose real name is Tristan Grant. Everything about Tristan defies the odds. He taught himself how to play piano at the age of 11, he writes and records all of his own work, and has been releasing music projects every year since the age of 17. He found huge success playing festivals across Canada and quickly secured nominations at the East Coast Music Awards for Indigenous Artist of the Year and for Recording of the Year. His music carries a powerful energy and wisdom beyond his years, covering topics such as love, empowerment, having a good time and thinking big. Mixing pop rap with old school beats, his lyrics have been described as catchy and confessional. Wolfcastle likes to keep listeners on their toes and delivers a new perspective on being a young indigenous man. This year he's nominated for two more East Coast Music Awards, Rap Hip Hop Recording of the Year for Gold Rush and the 2021 Indigenous Artist of the Year Award. Wolfcastle is also part of the ECMA Festival and Conference this coming May from the 5th to the 9th in Sydney, Nova Scotia. For more information on the 2021 ECMAs, please visit ecma.com. The week before we spoke, he released Gunner, the first single from his upcoming EP via the Halifax, Nova Scotia-based label Forward Music Group, one of Canada's most respected record labels, proudly based in Nova Scotia. It's an instant classic, and we can't stop playing it in the edit office. Flames burst on a jet ski, flying through the air, up on top of the tsunami, I'm Johnny. Machiavelli, wave a finger in the air, you can hear a pin drop. In a few short years, Wolfcastle has grown from a bedroom producer into one of the most prolific and important indigenous hip-hop artists working in Canada today. I'm a huge fan, and I can't wait to chat. So here we go. Tristan, how are you, mate? I'm doing great. Awesome, awesome. Um, I must start by saying congratulations on your well-deserved uh, East Coast Music Award nominations. How, how does that feel? It feels uh, super good um, because <laughs> I've been working quite a lot just in quarantine and not yeah. really doing shows too much. So I haven't seen a lot of like physical, real-life um uh, affirmations that what I'm doing is correct and right. So it's good that I'm finally, uh, you know, I have something that I am like, okay, great. I'm, I'm do I'm on the right track. That's amazing. I mean, but you are someone that did not let 
lockdown get to you? Or it certainly seems that way. Like, I mean, very quickly, you, you recorded Cha Cha, which, which was one of my favourite songs of last year. Just absolutely amazing track. I mean, you were able to, to do that in quarantine, in, in lockdown. Um, how did you manage to transition your kind of creativity of being on the road and performing live into uh, suddenly being trapped, but still being able to be creative? Yeah, um, I've had a very weird career. Um, it's, I don't think it's gone the way that most people go about it because it's been very DIY, very flying by the seat of my pants, like not doing the things that bands or artists do. Like I still haven't gone on my own like official Wolf Castle tour. I haven't done that yet. And like I've hopped on other tours and stuff, but like the beginning of my career up to now, it's, I always say it's been about five years um, since I've been doing this professionally. I've been doing like like in the beginning, I did a lot of cultural events and indigenous events and stuff like that. And the whole time up until last fall, like 2019 fall, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I'd been in school. Like I have a bachelor's degree in, in drama right. and I have a, uh, a one year certificate at uh, Nova Scotia Community College for music business. So I was always in school kind of balancing everything and, and, and doing everything from my bedroom and at home. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for for that, uh, just kind of lack of accessibility to studios. And a lot of my friends were not really musicians. Um, so I didn't, you know what I mean? So like the equipment and everything, and it wasn't really accessible to me. So I just slowly started working kind of in-house and figuring out how to record myself and, and write music. And, you know, I, I didn't know how to play piano, but I wanted to take beats off of YouTube and my mom was like, no, make your own. So I just made my own and I figured it all out. So that's kind of what I've been doing. It's amazing. I mean, you taught yourself piano at 11. I mean, you are someone who has clearly been determined to forge their own path and also not let restrictions get in your way. Like, where do you think that drive came from? Uh, yeah, I think that comes from, I, I'm in a family of, of artists that are mm. very active and very uh, colorful characters. And I grew up surrounded by that. And I had a lot of really good examples from a young age of people that have just kind of done their own thing and been successful for doing it. I like to joke uh, in interviews or on stage and when I meet people that if I chose to be a scientist or a mathematician or something, my family would have been like, what are you talking about? Be an artist. Like <laughs> it was amazing. like the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because my mom uh, is an artist and she was like already successful uh, when I was very young. And my uncle was doing rap when I was six years old. And actually my mom was on stage with him and she put her own rap album out. So yeah. that's always kind of an interesting angle that people are really attached to is just kind of growing up in a family of musicians and artists like that was kind of my mom's side thing too because she was uh she went to animation college when I was five or six and she actually left because she uh pitched a film to the National Film Board of Canada and they actually took it and greenlit it and she made a film so I've just kind of been surrounded by this creativity um and seeing that all kind of in my own community it was so and within my family was so inspiring and I think that's what gave me the the sort of um almost like a support blanket to be like you know I can go for this and there's no real pressure to like do anything great or amazing it's just just 
kind of follow your heart. So I, I, I've always kind of kept that with me this, this whole time. So that's kind of, I think, where it all comes from. That's incredible. And as you rightly say, I mean, it is the greatest gift that parents and indeed any family can give a child is encouraging them in in a creative field, in, in artistic ventures. And it's it's strange that traditionally it isn't something which families or indeed, you know, organisations, schools, governments actually do embrace. And why do you think that is, given how much the arts contributes to this and indeed any country's economic output? This is, you know, the arts are the things that, that have, they touch every single business, every single, you know, from restaurants, hotels, tourism. But yet the arts traditionally isn't supported or embraced why do you think that is it's such a good question because (laughs) it's it's so easy like you can't really lose that argument of like listen why are you not funding the arts because it literally like (laughs) like if you know like the arts are so important but if you're talking to non-artists who just care about the numbers it is so easy to be like look at these numbers like culture contributes so much to the economy it's unbelievable so like (laughs) it's so important to support that i i really i don't know like what mindset that is but it's so prevalent especially kind of in areas i don't know why so like and i'm no expert in this but like it Hmm. seems so prevalent in small towns and places that are kind of like you know towns whose economy kind of relies on mining or or like in bathurst where i'm from and live currently like there used to be a paper mill and a mine and everything like that and i guess it's very it was very like industrial kind of uh run and and i think the results from that sort of economic boost just maybe told the the larger public that this is what makes towns rich and and, right. and thrive and and builds the population um but if you don't build the art scene then when that stuff goes away we're kind of screwed as artists um because you know that there was a paper mill in Bathurst and it closed there was a mine it closed and now uh <laughs> like you know when i was a teenager up until now a lot of people were going out west to alberta to work at the oil fields or whatever um you know and being gone for months at a time very strange um and it's weird that that attitude exists but you know it's it's a shame because i think because of that we've probably lost a lot of talented people um who could have gone down this path and done really amazing things so it's it's a real shame because you have to go through just in a, a really stupid amount of um pushback to even try and be an artist and i'm sure you can relate as a as a comedian yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things that, that, that has been prevalent for so long. I mean, I feel like in some ways the, the tide is turning. And of course, we're obviously lucky to have organizations like, you know, East Coast Music Association who, who are supporting artists. But you're right, it's, it's, it's such a strange thing that this mentality has even existed, given, you know, on the one hand, you know, art is obviously an amazing and beautiful thing and has been known to be uh, historically. Uh, it's an, obviously an amazing thing for people to enjoy people's mental health. But as you say, as soon as you go down the economics route and the numbers route, which which is what you know pleases capitalists, um, you can <laughs> it, the evidence is there, right? You know, I mean, you talk about yeah. a town like you know a, a situation like Bathurst. You know, if a big show is in town, every single taxi company, hotel, restaurant, bar, store 
every business benefits from that but um but as you say it's it, it's too rarely seen but i mean you've obviously you know it's such a wonderful thing to hear about someone growing up with a, a supportive family of of artists and, I, and I, I love hearing that and i am i right in thinking was your uncle did your uncle perform on your on your most recent uh song gunner yeah, yes he did he did amazing <laughs> amazing what, yeah, what was like, that like it, it was amazing um because yeah. he was so he was a rapper in like 2003 um, right. going under the name Red Sugar and I asked him I actually had never asked him before but yesterday I texted him and I said hey why did you like decide to be a rapper when you were 20 <laughs> years old all those years ago and without missing a beat he just texted me back and said the lifestyle limos cars <laughs> all that stuff like I I feel like that was a funny answer but I, I think where he was coming from was, you know, we're from this kind of small town that relies on kind of trades and industry and and we're from a reserve, which is in itself like has its own kind of lifestyle. And I think he was a big dreamer, you know, and right. just an artist fully. And he was strong enough to make that jump himself, right? Like my, my grandparents were very supportive and um, wonderful people, but, you know, like he they weren't, they weren't really full-time artists. Like my grandfather, for sure. Like he was a storyteller and, and an educator, but, uh, that generation of my family, my aunts and and uncles and my mom like started this whole kind of arts thing, but it was based off of, I guess the groundwork that my grandparents kind of laid down to be kind of open and accepting of stuff. Uh, But it was amazing for him to make that leap. And ultimately that led to me being like, yeah, I want to be a rapper too. And when we were, uh, like I would say nine years ago, you know, he had gone through school as well and got his master's degree and all that. And I was about 16, 15 years old and I had started getting really into rap and I started being like, this is what I want. And he would come home uh, for the holidays and we would all hang out at my grandparents' house because he had lived in Halifax at the time. And when we got there, I just told him like, hey, I'm really getting into rap right now. And he was also getting back into it just kind of in his own way. And he had like the cheap mics and the, you know, Cubase and all these like DAWs and stuff. And my cousin, who's five years younger than me, he was like nine at the time. He was just like, hey, I'm making a song tonight just because I'm bored. Like, you want to do it? And I was like, oh, my God. Yes, of course. (laughs) And I was terrified. I was terrified. But I just like wanted to do it so bad because I, I was inspired by a lot of artists that were coming up. And so we had spent the next, I don't know, four years like four or five years every holiday season meeting up at my grandparents house and making rap songs from scratch literally till like seven in the morning and that was kind of where I got my rap training uh how to be so thrifty and DIY and stuff because he you know he would buy mics from Value Village or something or just kind of get you know, these programs and we would just go for it. And what I really appreciate about him was he wasn't all precious about the art either. Like, because obviously we were, me and my cousin were like not skilled and like, we're just learning, but he provided kind of, you know, this space where we could just rap about whatever. And even if the song was whack and bad, like he didn't seem to care. Like, I think he just loved (laughs) having fun. And I think that taught me how to have fun with it. So we did that for a long time. And then he was really my mentor um, for the next couple of years after that, when I started kind of performing, he would come on stage with me 
and be my hype man or be my DJ. And he really taught me how to perform. Like he was really the guy I was watching and learning from. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so then after a while, he got a job at a university and he just kind of stop kind of doing rap super full time and, or just going on the road and stuff. Cause he had also just started a family and I was really hurt by that or just crushed because it sucked because I didn't have this mentor with me. Um, right. but that was time for me to kind of go on my own and, and learn and, and pr- kind of apply what I had learned over the years from him. So that was kind of silent for a while. Uh, but we still hung out all the time. And when pandemic hit, I think, he was at home a lot and he's a really creative guy. I think he just had this spark of, I want to make, you know, this kind of music again. And he sent me a demo for Gunna. And I said, oh man, it's been like three years since we made a song together. Like I'm, I'm friggin' doing this right now. <laughs> so I just wrote a verse the same way we would do it. Uh, he was in Halifax. I was in Bathurst. We did it over the internet and I sat down, wrote a verse, recorded it in my room, sent it off. Uh, and then we we got it done, and this is the that's the song that is out now. <laughs> Amazing! I mean, it is absolutely it, it's it, instant classic. I mean, I can't stop playing it. I mean, and I know the feedback from it has been incredible. How, how does that feel now? Like that, you know, that you're having this great year after a year like last year when everything was kind of you know essentially our lives were paused, and suddenly now East Coast Music Award nominations, new EP, people going crazy for it. Like, you know, how do you feel? now <laughs> I'm th- well first of all I'm really grateful and happy because <laughs> like I used to when I was I don't know 14 and I 15 and I really had a dream of being a rapper or some sort of entertainer or something I I couldn't sleep at night I was so I wanted it so bad um so to just suddenly you know it wasn't sudden it was years of work but to be in a position where all of a sudden there's there's buzz and there's people talking about me and 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 there's always you know interviews like this going on I'm just like what the heck (laughs) What the heck happened? This is this is fantastic, um, and nice. you know it's it's gotten it's gotten a lot busier in the last six months, and I I don't I don't know why I I think maybe I've just done enough work that um and, and kept enough connections that I don't know I think I'm just uh when the opportunities show up I've done the work where I'm ready to take them you know what I mean yeah. And I think, I mean, what you said about the fact that from day one, when you were creating music in your bedroom, you were doing it for the love. It was never a commercial venture. It was creating what you knew was great and what you wanted to create. And as a result, that is how the best art is created. And the fact that it has resonated with so many people, I think, comes from the fact that that your heart was always in it. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, one of my favorite I, songs of yours is is "Awaken," which is just a a powerhouse of a track. I mean, you know, it's catchy, it's angry, makes me want to party, punch the air. Like, like, how do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you record a, or how do you even write a song like that that is so full of energy? <laughs> uh, really putting my hearing at risk. That's that's <laughs> yeah. how I write a song like that. <laughs> I, I, I bet, I bet. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I remember that song. So I made the beat for that, sitting like cross-legged on my bed, watching my brother play Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> 
I think that might have had something to do with it. <laughs> that, of the, that, of the, that sort of aggression, you know what I mean? Like, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Like, it, and the thing is, is the content of the song is kind of like political and very like, like angry at the world or like I'm awakened to the, the injustices of, of what's going on and stuff. But when I was making the beat, it wasn't that at all. Like, it was just me having my uh, my sound stuff open and just finding the right sounds and being like, oh, this sounds like... Like uh, that sounds like that, and I like that. And then finding the right uh, kicks and snares that sound like this. That's and when I had my headphones in, I was just it was it was just something that for me when I make music, I really follow kind of what's going on, follow my instincts and my heart, right? So when I was finding all these sounds and it was working, I was just rolling with it, like oh yeah, okay, this is sick. And getting like a, a like um, I think the main kind of lead sample on that song is a sort of buzz, like a synth buzz that's just yeah. like. Like really like it's almost like a car revving in your ears. And I think just that really informed kind of the attitude I wanted to take with it. And the lyrical content came with, uh, you know, finishing the beat and then blasting it in my room, uh, my uh, speakers and just kind of I I was probably running around in circles or something because I get really excited. So that's kind of how something like that happens. Amazing. And then and what was it like when you first played it live? And how much did your uncle kind of coach you in the artistry of taking this incredible kind of creative gene that you have and then putting it onto a stage in front of people? Yeah, so that was um, something that I had to learn by being in front of people. I yeah. think there are certain things about actually making music that you don't know about until you're performing music. So by the time I'm making Awaken... You know, I think I made that in the summer of 2019. I had done a lot of shows and I had been really active. And I actually, when I was making specifically that song, and, and I make every song like this, I do think about how it's going to sound in a club or at a certain venue. You know what I mean? Like, I think about what am I going to say and what sounds am I going to use that I know are going to make an audience like lose their minds. And uh, <laughs> at that, at the end of that song, I actually add something in that's not in it at all, like until the very end. And it's these sort of like really thunderous drums that are like, dung, 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 like just really yeah. wild. And when I did that, I actually put that in the song because I wanted to use it as uh, a physical thing in my shows. So when I get to that part of, of the song at the end, I start kind of like air drumming and going in these circles and, and people like, I remember I was like, okay, when I first performed it, I was thinking I'm, I'm going to try this. And I started like air drumming and dancing in a circle or something and being very kind of like, I don't even know what, um, and I heard like the audience go, go wild. Hmm, so yeah. that really informed me to, you know, going forward to still think about that when making music. And I think being in front of an audience uh, has really impacted how I write and how I produce because of it. So yeah, that's, that's definitely like all of that comes together when putting a song, uh, putting a song together and uh, thinking about kind of What's it going to be like in in front of people? And and I learned all that from my uncle because he knew all the stuff to do whenever we would perform. He knew how to do when I say wolf, y'all say castle, wolf, uh, you know what I mean? Like he knew how to do call and response and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I learned that all from him and I'm, I'm glad that I'm still using it today. 
Amazing. I mean, it's it's just it, it's incredible, and of course, I mean, as has been pointed out in in many reviews, your your music does transcend genres in that you're kind of, you know, you, you've got this incredible old school hip hop feel and style, but then there is a there is definitely a pop element to it, and indeed other genres. Like, who were your musical influences growing up? In, in addition to your uncle, <laughs> uh, in sync, <laughs> <laughs> really? Backstreet Boys, awesome. Uh, awesome. Him. Yeah, uh, it was a very eclectic uh, sort of yeah. inspiration. So I loved, I loved Insync and the Backstreet Boys and like awesome. Enrique Iglesias. Amazing. Uh, pretty much Amazing. just, just all, yeah, like all pop music from the late '90s and early 2000s. Really, like I love that stuff. Like uh, um, YTV was like this kids channel here uh, that's still around, and they used to put out compilation CDs called Big Fun Party Mix. And awesome. it was all the pop hits of the day. And I actually have a CD of Big Fun Party Mix 2 sitting on my speakers right now. I'm looking at it. And Amazing. it has all these old pop bands on it. So I loved kind of that pop music. And I was really influenced by video game music too. There was this game I loved called Jet Set Radio Future. And it's like this these roller skating kind of punk teens spray painting Tokyo in the future. And the soundtrack for that is, is actually so like amazing because in the game, there's this fake radio station that's always playing music. And just somebody who was involved in the music of that game had to make, I don't know, 20 remixes. And that really influenced, that really influenced me production wise, kind of like how to chop up samples and use them. Right. So it was, it was all of that stuff and riding around with my uncle, who is my influence. Uh, you know, he was, he's not that much older than me. He's, he's 13 years older than I am. So we were pretty close uh, in age, you know, more than you would think an uncle and a nephew would be. So when I was really young, he was 19 20 years old and he had this convertible uh this blue convertible and he used to babysit me and my siblings and some of my finest memories uh certainly they've influenced my love for old school hip-hop you know like driving through the city and he's like smoking cigars while listening to jay-z just really loud like that that was kind of my upbringing and i actually like it's it's so silly i get nostalgic when i can smell cigars because it makes (laughs) me think of those days he was wild man um but yeah so it's old school hip-hop it's pop music from the late 90s and early 2000s and i you know I just love music so much that I listen to so much all the time and I'm always challenging myself and trying to like find new new things and I I can't say there's one genre of music that I don't like a song from nice yeah and it definitely comes through in your music you would file it under under hip-hop in the record store but there's so many different things going on and it definitely that's definitely what shines through that you've kind of you know exposed yourself to every possible genre This show is brought to you by Nova Scotia Business Incorporated. NSBI works towards a strong, thriving and globally competitive Nova Scotia through attracting worldwide investment to create new jobs across the province and working with companies in all communities to be more successful exporters. Visit NovaScotiaBusiness.com to learn more about doing business in Nova Scotia.
Um, growing up on a reserve, what are the misconceptions that people have? Because, I mean, your story is so amazing in terms of what you've created, how young you started. But for so many people who don't really understand what life is like there, they wouldn't imagine it to be like this, this kind of you know, extremely kind of artistic, creative, embracing of all creative outlets. How, how do yeah. you describe it to people and what, what are people's misconceptions? Yeah, I, I, the misconceptions obviously come from people not spending time there. And you know what? Right. There, unfortunately, there's there's been a lot of generational trauma too, right, with mm. the indigenous community. So sure. it's you know it, it it's people it's people that have been oppressed for generations and generations. And even that, like, if you grow up in that and you don't have the right kind of influences and people around, you could end up somewhere else completely. Um, right. But I think that's you know that's the same sort of story for anyone that kind of grows up or, or as part of a minority group or in some sort of impoverished, uh, you know, town or, or who knows what, right? Like it's, I find like with anything, if people are ignorant to something or have misconceptions, they always come from a lack of communication with that thing that you are ignorant about. Right. Um, because I, it was it was very strange to grow up kind of in two different worlds is how I see it because on top of sort of the misconceptions and and the uh, you know the the definite oppression and sort of problems that you have to face uh, there's that other layer of yeah. of indigenous culture and different ways of of thinking and approaching things you know what I mean that that causes um, a very strange culture clash when somebody from the reserve goes into the outside world as you know, it, it would be easy for me to refer it as. I think for me, I was very fortunate in a sense that I actually was able to grow up in both places because like Pabano First Nation where I'm from is so small. It's just residential. Like there's a gas station and there's a restaurant now, but when I was a kid, it was very much not like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's so small that like a lot of reserves around New Brunswick in Canada at large, you know, they have, I don't know, a couple thousand people and they'll have their own schools and their own stores and kind of their own infrastructure. So really, if you're from there, you don't have much of a reason to leave. Um, So there is a culture that exists within that. And so for me, that wasn't around. So I had to go to school in Bathurst. I had to do groceries in Bathurst. I have friends from Bathurst. So I think I learned the the Western North American way and the the First Nations way. Uh, and I had to switch. I had to switch between the two depending on where I was. And I because I spent so much time in Bathurst going to school and doing everything every day, um, you know, I kind of grew up really, you know, in that, um, with the weird kind of thing attached to me and weird at the time for me, the indigenous culture identity thing, because there were pieces of my culture, like songs and practices and and traditional stories and, and dances and stuff like that, that I grew up around and knew about. But for me, that wasn't different or weird. So I didn't really see it as completely separate from kind of quote unquote Western world stuff. The only time it would become apparent would be when I'm in school and my grandfather comes in to 
give a, like a presentation on sort of, you know, I'm, I'm Ilnu, which is just the name of kind of my people. And we speak Mi'kmaq, but a lot of people will refer to us as Mi'kmaq and, and that's fine. Right. Um, so that's just kind of how we're, I guess, colloquially known, but he would, my grandfather was a storyteller and, and he's still, uh, you know, he's, he's an educator. So he would come in and talk about the culture and how he grew up because he was born here and he grew up very traditional kind of, you know, born and raised you know, on the reserve and, and, you know, living off the land and stuff. And it would only become apparent that I was different when something like that would happen. And I would hear the ignorant comments from my classmates uh, making fun of, I don't know, you know, traditional words and teachings and pretending that it was kind of silly and, and ridiculous. And that would that would really sting um, yeah. because, you know, when you're an awkward you're an awkward teenager, especially like for me, like you just want to fit in, right? Like you don't want to be separated from the crowd. So for me, I spent a lot of my time until I was around 20 years old, kind of rejecting my traditional roots, even though I lived on the reserve, I was very involved in the culture and my community. I just rejected it and I wanted to be, I didn't want to be a part of it. Like even to the point where I, I identified myself as like this suburban middle-class white kid, even though that's not true, <laughs> like, right. which is very strange. Like, especially for me to come to terms with once I leave the reserve and I tell stories about, you know, kind of the scary stuff that would happen that would be normalized to me. And have people I'd met in university being like, what are you talking about? That is insane. Um, so that was like a culture shock for me, you know, because I was very protected too from my, like my family really protected me from kind of the, the negative stuff that goes on in, in these communities, you know? Um, and for me, I did have frustration feeling like I was kind of stuck in a bubble almost, but then I understood how hard they had worked, you know, to keep these kind of negative influences out. Uh, and I understood that that sacrifice was to, to make me, you know, grow up feeling pretty normal and stable. And it, you know, thinking about it now, it's kind of a shame that that even had to happen, but me identifying myself, yeah, me identifying myself as like a suburban middle-class white kid, (laughs) even though, you know, I was very much not that, uh, was a survival technique that it was like a judo move that my mom pulled. (laughs) Right, right. Well, it's one of those things, as you say, it was to protect you, but it, it is a tricky thing when you're bridging, you know, essentially two identities. And and also, I mean, for you being in school, it must have been a, a, you know, that's a real moment of trauma when classmates who previously to say, hearing your grandfather speak, you just thought of them as just friends. And then suddenly you see this kind of awful, bigoted, evil side to them. That's That's got to yeah. really, really hurt. A, 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 I mean, for anyone, but especially as a teenager who, who has these different identities, both of which are as important to you as the other. Yeah, it, it, it was really bad, you know, and, and it, it really hurt. And I think what hurt me the most was I knew that they didn't realize how bad it was. Like I remember in middle school, there were these friends of mine I had and uh, they used to make fun of me for being native, like literally every day. Mm. And it made me feel so small and so awful. Um, But after they would do that, they would just say, you know, we're just kidding. Right. Like, and, but it didn't, it didn't make it 
hurt any less you know what I mean? of course yeah and as you say it's it's lack of education and that's one of the things yeah. that's been missing for so long is people don't realize that that well, a, they don't realize that the historical awfulness of, of what they're doing and what they're perpetuating but um but yeah i think that's the thing it's it's that ignorance that that makes it all the more depressing that's what makes bigotry yeah. so depressing is that it comes from stupidity <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and, you know, it's like, and, you know, I would talk about this and, and, and I had, you know, parents and, and aunts and uncles and my siblings, we all grew up and we all went to the same schools and everything. And they had that experience as well. So I was fortunate enough to have intelligent, you know, smart family members who had faced this already and could tell me, you know, like it hurts and it sucks, but it, it is because they're ignorant and they, they might not really understand what they're doing and it still doesn't excuse it. But, you know, it's that. So as a kid, I realized that it was coming from a place of ignorance. And I think luckily I interpreted it in a way that Oh, they're ignorant and, and it sucks, but I'm not going to, you know, hold any any hatred or, or resentment for it. I'm just going to try and rise above that and show them that, you know, it, you know, like whatever. I'm going to I'm going to show them that I can do what yeah. I'm going to do and I'm going to be really successful at it. And it's not out of spite. It's just to be like, look, you were wrong about this and you probably heard this ignorant stuff from your parents. And <laughs> what we're going to do now is we're going to move forward as a culture and <laughs> You know, well, we're going to get smarter. And the amazing thing that you've done with your songs is, of course, that you can, you know, like your grandfather, you are a storyteller. The, the, the videos and the songs tell a story. Do you feel a responsibility to now educate your audience and your fan base about things, about, you know, uh, the indigenous community that they may not have known before? Yeah, I do feel that responsibility uh, because um, I just know that there are a lot of reasons why I am the way I am and I'm in the position that I'm in. And some of them were not in my control, just happened to be born into a family that was very supportive and very artistic. You know, I, I just happened to, for some reason, the cards fell a specific way and now I'm the way I am. And here I am <laughs> sitting here talking. Um, so I, I, I feel that responsibility to educate and approach it in a way that is not going to make people roll their eyes and just shut off because like sometimes right. it can be like that too. Like, so for me, I do feel that responsibility, but I tell myself, um, I'm going to just be myself and speak my truth the best that I can and take those opportunities to talk about where I come from, because even though my story is very different in a certain way, um, it is very similar to a lot of other indigenous youth specifically and people that are you know, everywhere who grew up and who knows what kind of situation. So I, you know, I, I really look up to a lot of artists and musicians and people and they help me as well get through things and think about things, you know, like right. specific artists like, I don't know, Mac Miller was really influential to me because he was you know, four years older than I am and had no label and was independent and was putting music out. And I really looked up to that. And I actually really love Conan O'Brien, the talk show host, because he's just such a good interviewer. And he, you know, will take moments to just be funny and talk about stuff, but he'll also be real. And, and I love listening to podcasts and people talk about their lives. And it, I find like just having really deep conversations with people or even listening to them will inform myself because I just re reflect on what I hear 
and, you know, put that into my life's context and try and figure out where to go next. So I do feel that responsibility to educate and be a storyteller, but that's kind of the way that I'm going to do it is through music, through entertainment, because I just think that's the best way that I specifically can do it. Beautiful. And and it's working. And I, and I love that you love Conan. And it's funny because one of my favorite quotes is actually above my desk here. And it's a Conan quote. Oh. And it's the line. Um, and it's this line he says about 10 years ago. He said, I, I hate cynicism. It's my least favorite quality and it doesn't lead anywhere. Nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. And I think you are the uh, living embodiment of that quote. Oh, man, I've heard that quote before. I really have. Uh, You know, I I forget what the context was. But yeah, see, you know, if I probably heard that and applied that to my life, right? So that's all part of it. That's it. It, it, it's, and it's and it's definitely something which, of course, I mean, it, it is the case everywhere, but it feels like in a place like New Brunswick that isn't necessarily used to having, um, you know, artists, whether they be, you know, um, painters, writers, uh, musicians, uh, comedians, whatever they are, it isn't used to it. So it feels like there's, there's, it's quite a unique place to be uh, doing what we do because there isn't a well-worn path. We literally have to have to find our own. And and really, you just have to have to love what you're doing. And I, I love that feeling of watching you perform and listen to you. It's through, it, just, it sounds like you are having fun, which is what it's all about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I often wonder, you know, like what what the heck is going on? Like there's so many people that get into this, you know, well, not even get into it. Like there's there were so many people in, you know, now or when I was coming up that were in bands or, you know, were trying to be actors or making music and stuff. And, you know, I wonder why they're not sticking with it. Right. But I yeah. think that a really important thing is the love for it. I think if you get into the entertainment industry with the wrong intentions that you're just going to suffer a lot more and you're not going to last because it is really hard <laughs> to like <Yeah. laughs> try and be something, you know, in, in music and arts. If you want to be a, I don't even know how to be a painter. Like <laughs> what do you even, I don't know. What do you do? I don't, yeah. I have no idea, but yeah. you know, you have to be so brave to do that. And I think part of it is you have to literally live and breathe it to the point where you can't quit because yeah. you're just not going to because like the way I look at it is and I always tell myself this kind of to take the pressure off of being quote unquote a successful artist hmm. is um, would I be making music anyway if I was yeah. making literally one cent or not yeah. and the answer is yes I would be making music if I you know if nobody heard one note from me I would still be making music so I know that it's something that I my heart is is truly in you know I think you're right and I think that that's totally what I love so much about um east coast music and indeed the east coast art scene is that no one's in it for the for the for the victory or the glory or the wealth because we're probably not going to have that like like no like it's not like <laughs> yeah. in you know it's not it's not going to happen like we're not going to be millionaires from this so, you know, we're in it for no. the love whereas you know if you do what we do in 
England or LA or or indeed or New York, you are surrounded with people who are literally in it for the riches, and uh, and we know there ain't no riches for us. So so yeah, it's, <laughs> we, we we are literally surrounded with people who are passionate about what we do, and and that's one of the things that I love about finding myself in a dressing room uh, on any show. Um, back when we were allowed to do live shows and live events again, is that you know if I'm in a room full of you know storytellers, poets, musicians the one thing that we're all going to have in common is that we are all doing this for the love and not for any other reason. And, and I think that's, that, true. that's what makes this, this place quite unique. You know, um, how, how, how do you describe New Brunswick to people when you're on the road and, and they haven't been like, how, how do you, uh, how do you explain it to people? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, I'm from, I'm from New Brunswick. And sometimes depending on how far West you are, they go, what? They don't know that there are things east of Quebec. They're like, yeah. doesn't Canada end at Quebec? <laughs> oh man. Or, or if, uh, you know, if I'm in America yeah. and I'm like, I'm from New Brunswick. Can't, they're like, Oh, New Jersey. Cause right. there's a New Brunswick, New Jersey. Like <laughs> I was in New York one time, uh, just on a trip. And I, somebody, I told someone I was just random that I was from New Brunswick and they thought I was like across the pond or like in, in New, Newark, New Jersey or something. Cause there is a New Brunswick there, but no, uh, I would say New Brunswick has a weird rep in Canada. I think people think that it's a drive through province and something that just sucks, but like, <laughs> It's not like it's super cool. Like if you and it's hard, it's, it's, it is hard as a resident of New Brunswick and as like a an edgy teen that hates everything <laughs> to like sit there and actually, you know, look at New Brunswick for what it is, because I also would like, you know, be part of the NB hate uh, as a as a young person, because I just I want to live in a big city, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but once I got older, you know, you take a look around and it's a beautiful province. There's so much like it's so scenic mm. and there's so many nice people and just a lot of history and a lot of um, I don't know. It just feels very welcoming and open and it feels just I don't know. It's and maybe it's because I'm from here and I've learned that I actually do love it. Uh, but I, I love traveling through this province and seeing kind of what it has to offer. And I think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. I mean, think about it. You yeah. know, there's no tornadoes. There's no earthquakes. We're not getting a tsunami next week. You know what I mean? Like it, it's got to be one of the most calmest places, you know? It's true. Even COVID couldn't hit us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it sucks, but like we've yeah. got it pretty. My sister, my sister lives in Charleston, South Carolina, the United States. Wow. If she came up here, I think she would just, you know, she, it's a breeze. Like she, she's in a, in the heat of America right now. Like in their COVID thing, it sucks. Totally. Oh, totally. I mean, it's. Yeah, I speak to friends in England, and they're like, "Oh, James, things are going really great here. We're down to ten thousand deaths a day on my street." And I'm like, "Oh, we got thirty oh, cases in the whole province." Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But it's crazy times. But I mean, this is the thing that's. I think so wonderful is that you have you know, built up this career, you've built up this following and, you know, the, the, and you've used this time in lockdown to create. And then in six months or, or, or even less, when we're able to go on the road again, your audience is waiting for you. I mean, what are you looking forward to most about performing live again? I'm looking forward to, oh man, like <laughs> I miss 
one of my old tricks I had up my sleeve for <laughs> shows was jumping into the audience. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, if when we start doing shows again, I don't know if I could do that, but... <laughs> with with I, a mask you know, on, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put a mask on. I'll put a mask on. I'll wear a hazmat suit. That's what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. That's just going to be like the next phase of Wolf Castle. I'll just have a hazmat like theme yeah, going it. on so it makes sense. Yeah, but, yeah it's, um, like it's, it's your Daft Punk thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's my Daft Punk phase. Like, I don't want people to see my face. Like, it, like if I get old, I'll start wearing a mask just so people don't see my wrinkles and stuff. Um, but no, I, I, I miss what I'm looking forward to the most is, is, is being able to, oh man, like scream out loud and, you know, be in a sweaty bar. I never thought I would say that, but a sweaty, weird little bar or something. And, and you're putting your tunes on and you're, and you're, and I'm just going for it and hearing people scream the the chorus back at me and, and, you know, making that connection being like, Hey, like we're, we're all here right now. We're, we're in, in this moment. And yeah. that is something that I miss so much is, being able to look an audience member in the eyes and like, you know, do a little wave or something. And then, you know, you're vibing together, like in, and making that connection. So I, I really miss that, that physical aspect of it. And, and, you know, when you are playing music live, you feel the music because it's so loud, like in yeah. like the bass in my songs, I can feel them in my legs <laughs> and that helps the performance a lot. Like it's, it's really hard actually to write, songs that aren't really sur- like <laughs> writing songs that aren't cerebral and like philosophical and stuff. Yeah. Like I can't, how am I going to write a party track when I don't know when I'm going to be at the party next? You know? So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, so I miss that. Well, it won't be long, and uh, and I can't thank you enough for your, for your time here t- today, Tristan. As I say, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. It's a real honor to to get to know you, and I wish you the best of luck at the uh, ECMAs next month, mate. Yeah, thanks so much for chatting with me. Like you've been, a, you've been a great guy to talk to. I'm telling you. Like, I mean, I'm in lockdown. There's not a lot of people I'm talking to right now, so like, <laughs> oh, <that laughs> feels nice. good to have a conversation, especially with another artist too. Like, feels good. Oh, thanks, man. The, 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 the feeling's mutual. I can't wait for us to uh, see each other on the road. But most importantly, I can't wait to be standing in an audience as you play Awaken and then you jump into the crowd and we we get to high five I mean in a sweaty bar this is that that day will come and I can't wait for it brother (laughs) yes and you're getting the VIP ticket you're you're Ah, coming in yeah beautiful thank you so much we will uh, see you on the road and uh, thanks so much for being here today Thanks so much. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. The show is brought to you by Nova Scotia Business Incorporated. NSBI works towards a strong, thriving and globally competitive Nova Scotia through attracting worldwide investment to create new jobs across the province and working with companies in all communities to be more successful exporters. Visit NovaScotiaBusiness.com to learn more about doing business in Nova Scotia. Wolfcastle was announced as part of the 2021 ECMA Festival and Conference this May 5th to 9th in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Socially distanced arena seating is on sale now for the 2021 East Coast Music Awards show via Ticketmaster. All ECMA in-person events will comply with public health measures. 
For more information on the 2021 East Coast Music Awards, please visit ecma.com. Be sure to follow Wolfcastle on Facebook, search for Wolfcastle, and on Instagram and Twitter, at Real Wolfcastle, and purchase his music now from Apple Music. Further details can be found on the Edit website, maritimeedit.com, and I will see you next time. Podstarter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.